I am so excited to welcome you as we gather as the Christ Journey family today. And whether you're in Coral Gables, Kindle Campus, across the nation, around the world, I'm excited about the message that God has given me. I can tell you, blessed is him who comes, he who comes in the name of the Lord. And God has given me a blessing for you today, especially if you ever felt like you are in a battlefield. Life is a battlefield, isn't it? Feels like it to me. Feels like it to me. I mean, temptation, trial, trouble, times of testing. I got a lot of that in my life, how about you? I bet if we sat down for coffee today, we could compare scars. And you could show me, you could tell me some of your battle stories and we could share some scar tissue as to where you engaged the battle and yet still standing, right? Uh, with practically uh, every front. You know, we're familiar with fighting on every front. Economically, we fight to provide for the future, right? Want to take care of the ones we love. We want to um, meet the daily demand. Relationally, oh my. Anybody familiar with the battlefield of relationships? Have you discovered that the best quality relationships are not conflict-free? They are conflict-ready. <laughs> they, they grow to be conflict-savvy. But I'm telling you, the best relationships are not conflict-free. In fact, get two people together for any length of time, and what are you going to have? Conflict. Conflict. It's what happens. But here's what I am learning and have learned. When we engage the challenge and learn to address it well, true and closer community can result. Increased trust can go deeper, and increased intimacy can bring you closer. In fact, communication experts say intimacy is just on the other side of conflict. That's why we don't give up in the heat of the conflict in battle. But sometimes it's a battle, right? I mean, whether it's in whatever relationship, business relationship, friendship, parenting, marriage, all of them involve challenge. I can tell you that Lisa and I have worked and warred through significant, challenging, engaging battles in our relational life. Fortunately, earlier on, we started discovering that we are not the enemy, but we are fighting an enemy together, and we are now engaging the battle together. But it's a battle, I'm telling you. The secret is in learning how to fight a good fight. That's the only way marriages last, you know, when you learn how to fight the good fight and fight for each other instead of with each other, right? Well, then spiritually, spiritually, Jesus said, life's a battle. In the model prayer, he said, you better learn how to engage the battle <laughs> because you're already in it. You don't even know it. Many people don't even realize they have a spiritual enemy, an invisible enemy who is seeking to take you out and will blindside you at the worst possible moment. Peter said he's like a hungry lion seeking whom he may devour. He loves to devour human beings. That's what Simon Peter said. And the apostle Paul, when he's coming to the end of his life, one of the things he writes in a very autobiographical, uh, transparent moment, he said, you know what? I've finished the race. I've fought a good fight. I've fought the fight. I'm still standing. And I would love on the almost end of my journey to be able to say, hey, I'm still standing, I'm still fighting. I wanna learn how to fight a good battle and I would love for those in the Christ Journey Church to know how to wage war to victory. We're taking hits, but we're still standing. 
And um, sometimes I'm telling you, maybe you feel like this today. Seems like just around the next corner, there's a new predator that's stalking your business, stalking your relationships, stalking your life. There's some new predator that's gotta be addressed, right? Some new challenge that is demanding attention, some uh, problem waiting to be solved, or some solution that has suddenly proven itself ineffective, and now you've gotta redress the battle again, right? This is life, and it's that way in work environments, it's that way in family environments, at home life. Parents, you think you've just figured out how to win that battle, and then it grows to this one, and then it grows to this one, and then it grows to this one, and then you think, oh, we're graduating, and now life is gonna change, and then you have different battles to fight with adults. Adults keep changing too, you change too. This is part of the battlefield. So here's what I'm saying, if, if there's a place that I can use some wow, some God-sized wow in my day, it would be in the battlefield. When the heat is on, when I'm facing the challenge, you know, and the high noon experience is when the sun is at its highest point of the day, and you know, in Wild West shootouts, high noon was when the clock struck 12 and they're supposed to draw, right? That means the heat is on, high noon is the hour of decision, that's what we're talking about for the spiritual warrior. When you're in the battlefield, you're feeling the heat and it's time for decision. And so what I would like to do is um, enter the story of warrior Elijah again. We visited him in an earlier series. I'd like to re-engage with warrior Elijah and see if he's got something else in his arsenal that could help us for our day of battle at high noon. Now I need to tell you right up front though, this is a miracle story. And what that means is some of us are gonna have a hard time believing it. Okay, so I just wanna say that on the front end. But I wanna tell you the story the way it appears. And then I wanna cycle back and apply its truth to the battles that we face to see if you can't get some traction to uh, move you forward to victory, okay? Okay, well, last time we were with Elijah, the famine was underway. God had stopped the rain to illustrate for the people the spiritual and moral condition of their hearts and their nation, that um, they were dry. You ever been in a dry period? You ever felt like your spiritual life really wasn't going anywhere? Well, God had arranged this one so that they would maybe pay attention and even ask the question, why are things so dry? And then in answer to the question, they would start paying attention to the true God, and divert their attention away from the false gods that they had been serving for the sex and success gods that were in their culture at that time and turn their hearts back to God. They had two gods that they were worshiping for harvest. That meant to make their life better. Baal and Asherah, sex and success gods. You'll see more about that in a moment. But as we pick the story up in 1 Kings 18, and of course, I want to invite you to read that for yourself. It won't take you that long, but I hope you'll check everything you hear me say by the scripture itself. So 1 Kings chapter 18, it's year three of the famine. Year three <laughs> of the famine. And they still haven't learned. I mean, they're still serving the pagan sex and success gods, even though they had not been able to turn the tide. And Queen Jezebel, who, uh, daddy was, whose daddy was one of the uh, high priests 
from the false gods. Um, she is killing off Hebrew prophets like Miami and swatting mosquitoes. I mean, get rid of everyone you see. There's an all points bulletin out on Elijah, God's prophet. He's a wanted man and they want him dead. That's what they want. But at the same time, God has just told Elijah, it's time for rain. I'm gonna send rain. Oh, well, this is good news. So I guess it's a bad news, good news day for Elijah, you know? <laughs> they want me dead, but God wants me to be a part of helping rain come, which is good news, but there's some house cleaning that needs to happen before the rain can fall. And so what the people had failed to learn by observation, now God wants to make very clear by demonstration with an explanation. Okay, so they won't miss it. So Elijah asked Ahab, the king, to gather all of the pagan sex and success false gods that he's got on the payroll, on the political payroll. And he wants them to meet up on Mount Carmel. There are 850 of them, 450 prophets of Baal, and 400 prophets of Asherah. Baal is the virility god, the masculine virility god, and Asherah is the mistress fertility goddess. And Elijah is issuing a showdown. He makes it very clear to the people what is at issue. There is a choice of two options in allegiance that is going to be seen in that mountain. Verse 21, how long will you waver between two opinions, Elijah says. If the Lord is God, then follow him. Now, if Baal is God, then follow him. But enough with all of this wavering. You know, you're stuck. But the people said nothing. So Elijah says, okay, here's what we're gonna do. Get two bulls, give the Baals one of the bulls, have them prepared for sacrifice, put it on the altar, on the wood, but don't light the fire. And I'll do the same thing, okay? Verse 24, the God who answers by fire, he is God, okay? All the people say, oh, sounds good, sounds good, let's do it. So the Baal prophets start in the morning and they go hard until noon and still nothing. They shout, they pray, they dance, but still no answer. Verse 27, no slide on this one. It simply says, at noon. Okay, high noon, <laughs> mountain showdown. At noon, Elijah taunts them. He does a little trash talk. He says, so where's your God? You've been going at it. I mean, is he on vacation? Has he taken some time off? Maybe he went to relieve himself. I mean, that's why you should read it for yourself. You, you know, maybe somebody needs to go wake him up because he's sleeping, he can't hear you. And so you know what the bales do? They shout even louder. And they pull out their swords and they slash their bodies because cutting is a part of their custom. And they bleed on the altar. So obviously they're very serious about this. They're sincerely serious about this. But it has occurred to me that you can be sincerely serious and feel confident about the road you're driving on and still be on the wrong road. Don't ask me how I know that's true. But you can actually be driving with great confidence and think you're going the right way and be as sincere as you can only to discover it's not. That's what's happening here this day. 
All day long, they've been frantically, desperately, painfully committing themselves, still no fire. So now it's uh, Elijah's turn. It's time for evening sacrifice. It's about 3 p.m. in the afternoon. Verse 30, he repairs the altar that has long been neglected by the people. I mean, it's been years since they've really been fully devoted. And, uh, and then he gathers 12 stones, and then he reminds the nation that the 12 tribes are of one nation under God, these 12 tribes of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come. And he tells them, your name shall be Israel. Now, it was a very divided nation, and everybody was doing their own thing at the time. But he lays those stones as the altar stones. And then he puts the wood of fire on that and then the bull on top of that. And then he says, verse 33, I want you to fill four large jars with water. And seen a lot of water. It's been a period of drought. But now what's he doing? Four large jars of water? Yeah, and then I want you to pour it on the altar. I want you to pour it all over the bull, all over the wood. Yeah, he does it. Okay, do it again. Do it again. And then do it a third time. Three times he does it. So now the water has uh, filled not only has it lapped off and dripping off the sacrifice, but it has filled the trench that he dug around the altar full of water. And then verse 37, he prays, answer me, O Lord, so that the people will know. That's the point of the whole deal. People don't know. They don't know what they don't know. That the people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are returning the hearts back again. To you. Verse 38, then the fire of the Lord fell. What was that like to see? The fire of the Lord fell, burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stone, the soil, and it licked up all the water in the trench. I told you this was a miracle story. Verse 39, when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and they cry out, the Lord, he is God, Yahweh he is Elohim, two Hebrew words. Yahweh is the, per, the name of the personal covenant God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. And Elohim is the most high living God. So he said, this personal God we know through our father's covenant is now declared the true living God. It's a declaration of praise. And so they stop wavering and they start worshiping. So here's what I want you to know. The message of God in that day and this one is still and simply this. Don't waver, worship the true God. That's the point of the story. Don't waver, worship the true God. If you wanna survive the heat of the day, worship the true God. If you wanna escape the destruction of deception in your life, worship the true God. If you want to stand firm, ignited with fire from God, even though your wood is soaking in water, worship is the way. That's the point of the story. True worship is the true way. But then the question becomes, well, how do I know I'm worshiping the right God? And not just some other that I'm being misled by, right? what? some other imposter. What possible test could I implement to be sure that I am dedicating my allegiance to the right God? That's the right question. Now we'll get back to that in a moment, but the story's not over yet. Elijah has all of the deceiver prophets of Baal gathered and then put to justice and judgment by God's law. 
And then he tells the king, after the judgment has been executed, he tells the king, I hear rain. Now the king doesn't hear anything. King doesn't see anything. But there's something resonating, something Elijah is picking up. And, um, and the truth is this, God has been wanting to send blessing and create harvest and heal lives for a long time. That's been his driving desire all along. But the people's attention, their affection, their allegiance has been diverted by these false gods. And now that the false gods, it's like the clog in the pipeline, the clog in the plumbing has been cleared. So now guess what? The water can flow. So Elijah goes to the top of worship mountain. The story's not over yet. He goes to the top of this worship mountain and he prays. And then he tells his servants, go, his servant, go look toward the ocean. Go look toward the sea. And the servant does, he doesn't see anything. Seven times Elijah sends him back, seven times. And on the seventh time, on the seventh time, he sees a cloud. He says it's about the size of a man's hand. And Elijah says, you better go tell the king. If he doesn't want to get stuck in the storm, it's time to leave. I'm thinking the servant's saying, man, it's not even a blip on the Doppler. But the reminder is that every hurricane started as a blip. And the next thing in story, the sky grows black and it pours out this torrential rain and the drought is ended. Now I told you this is a miracle story, right? Elijah had a miracle ministry. If somebody showed up today claiming to be able to control the weather and call fire from the sky, you and I would both be suspicious. And rightly so, in fact, because Jesus said in the last days, imposters will show up doing signs and wonders. So I'm not saying swallow what somebody feeds you. What I'm saying here is the greatest miracle of this warrior's life is one that every one of us can experience. And it is a personal relationship with the true living God. That's what the story is about. That this story holds insight on how you can see God's wow personally showing up in the heat of your high noon. The challenge that you face. And you wanna know the simple summary of it? You've already seen it, here it is. Don't waver, worship the true God. So Elijah could say this, I've seen fire and I've seen rain. I've seen times when I didn't have a friend. You know that song? He said, I can tell you the key to face the challenge of spiritual battle is what happens when you unleash true worship to the true God in your life. And it occurred to me while I was working on this that Jesus in Matthew chapter four, when he was in the wilderness facing the spiritual heat of the day in the temptations of the evil one responded with these words, Matthew 4.10, thou shalt worship the Lord your God and him only shalt thou serve. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. He uses two words, both of them have to do with worship. Proskuneo is the word bow down before, and latreuo is the word rise up and serve. And Jesus, in the heat of his spiritual battle, says worship is the way to win. 
When the temptation comes and the deceiver steps up and you, he's challenging you to get off point, no, 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 here's the best way to win. It's revere the Lord your God and then rise up to serve him. And this is the way Elijah, this is the way Elijah lived and in reverence and in obedience. That's what worship is. He postures his life in worship of the true God. So then he calls the people, now don't waver, worship. But it's interesting to me, when he says it's time to worship, he doesn't say reach for a guitar or pick up your hymnal. What he says is there are three moves that you can make in your life that will posture you to be in alignment with the true worship of the true God. And that's what I wanna look at real quickly here. First move is wait on God's presence. How do you withstand the heat of the day? Well, the same way that you endure the drought of a famine. That's the way Elijah did it. He just waited on God. He was waiting on God. Now, and that's the same way that we endure it. Maybe you're in a wait period right now where you feel like it's been dry for a while. Don't get diverted. Don't get detoured. Learn how to wait on God. Now, how do you do that? Well, this is not do nothing waiting. This is active waiting. This is the kind of waiting you do if you have house guests over, dinner guests for dinner, and you're waiting on your dinner guests. How do you do that? Oh, you pay attention. You're focused, you're responsive. You know, they're your guests, you're there for them. That's, what we, that's when you wait on God, that's what you're saying. I'm here for you, Lord. The warrior's first line of defense against the distractions and diversions of the pagan sex and success gods is learning how to set apart Christ as Lord. That's what Peter says in his letter. He says, here's what you need to do set apart Christ as Lord. Your focus is fixed on him. Devote your life to him. Don't waver, don't waffle. Bow down and revere him only. It's like what Jesus is saying. In Jesus' mind, there is only one force that should have the power to bring you to your knees and then call you to obey. And it is the Lord God Almighty. Nothing less, nothing else. Wait on him. He is worth your life. Second move, welcome God's provision. This is what Elijah does, right? He steps up expecting God to show up and he's aligning his life to what God's word has led him to trust and now he's gonna rise up and obey. Even when the heat is on? Oh yeah, especially when the heat is on. I mean, at high noon, that's when you gotta know what you stand for and who you're standing with. I love the song, the, the old song, Onward Christian Soldiers. There's a line in that song that never fails to stir me. Hell's foundations quiver at the sound of praise. Brothers, lift your voices. Loud your anthems raise. It's like saying step up and pray until God shows up and look for the fire. Third move, walk in his promises. Elijah aligns his behaviors to God's word. We see that happen in the story. And the story's not done until the cleanup has happened, right? So he cleans up the mess by eliminating the false prophets who have been deceiving, and then he doesn't stop praying. He and his apprentice go up to the top of the mountain, and he keeps on praying until his Mentor, I mean, his, he's the mentor, his mentee, is that what it's called? His apprentice sees what he doesn't see yet and then brings him in. And then the rain from that storm washes the blood from their hands and waters the land so that healing can begin. That's what God's been wanting the whole time. And it raises this question. Warrior, is there some cleanup that needs to happen in your life? 
Is there blood on your hands? Have you soiled yourself? Have you been distracted? Have you been diverted? Have you been following the wrong God? Maybe you didn't realize where you took the wrong turn and it looked so right at the time, but now something's gone wrong. Is there something that's distracting your heart? Is something clouded your mind? Is something shutting down your praise? And at the very moment when you know somebody should say something, it's not gonna be you because something is stopping you. That's a spiritual battle that's happening right there. Have you been trusting in the wrong resources? Have you been heading down the wrong road? Following the wrong leader. And now you're starting to ask the question, well, instead of blaming God, God, you're doing this to me. Maybe not, or maybe he's just wanting you to pay attention. You say, but I'm not perfect, pastor. No, neither am I, neither am I. And neither was Elijah. Interesting, that's what the New Testament says about him. He was a a man of like passion like we are. That means he's not perfect. And if you read the rest of his story, you'll discover it that Elijah, this great spiritual warrior, he's far from a perfect man. He's He's got feelings of loneliness. He's isolated. He's given to depression sometimes. He's been hurt. He's been rejected. He's been misunderstood. He's been betrayed. He's been abandoned. I mean, he even gets to the point where he just asks God to take his life. He says, you know, Lord, I'm done. I've had enough. This is his story. He's a powerful man with a vulnerable soul. You know how I think God would like you to think about yourself? You are a powerful person with a vulnerable soul. You are in a battlefield, but you need to remember you are a powerful person, but with a vulnerable soul. That's why we got to battle on in these things. And in his relationship with true God, it's worship that saves the day. Worship can save your day too. That's, that's what I'm getting from this. Even when you're facing the most notorious false gods that still are littering our world. Did you see them? They're right there in the story. Maybe they're in your story too somewhere. They tend to show up. Self, sex, success. Those are the the battlefields. Those are battlefields in my life. Are they spiritual battlefields in yours? In the story, here's what people do. They substitute self-will for God's will. And instead of asking God, what do you want with my life? They said, I got this one. I'll take this one. I'll make my own way. I'll make my own decisions. I'll make my own rules. I'll do my own thing. And then what they discover, I've discovered this, have you, that you can't choose, you can make your own choices, but you can't choose your own consequences. What does that mean? You're not God. That's what that means. So when you're stuck in a consequence of a choice that's not what you wanted, it's like clue phone is ringing. Do you get it yet? You're not God. And when, but you can bow down to self as if you are God and you can rise up to serve yourself as if you're the God of the universe. But when it comes down to it, the battle is gonna prove that you're not. Second false God. I mean, self can be a false God if you bow down and worship yourself. What does it mean to worship yourself? It means you just yield to what you want and you rise to serve what you want. And that's not always leading the right way. Sex is another false God in our culture. But here's what the Bible says about that. Sex is a good gift. 
a good gift from a good God who when he gave it to male and female, he said, now this is really good. That's how the Bible starts. This is my gift to you and I want it to give you life in love that will bring family and grow. But it can be a false God, I'm telling you. It makes a terrible master, a wonderful gift, but a terrible master. Jezebel's daddy, the high priest of the pagan fertility gods, you know, she's got them spread all across the nation and they're supposed to be making people's lives better. That's what she's told them. They're gonna have a better harvest. It's gonna be greener grass on the other side. They're gonna be happy. It's not happening. Why is it not working that way? Instead of getting better, things are getting bitter. More things are being broken. Hearts and families being broken. You know what I see in my office as a pastor? That infidelity and sex addiction do not bring fulfillment. That they are deceivers and destroyers. And pornography is one too. It promises what it cannot deliver. Sex is a great gift from God when it is used in God's will. But it can be such a destroyer. It can be a false God. If you worship it, what does it mean to worship? Oh, you just bow down to its want and you rise up to serve it. That's what worship is. What am I giving my life's allegiance to? The only time of the only life that I have. And then success. Oh man, Ahab's all about this. Power, all about power. Get more, have more, control more. Use political office for personal gain. Bully and intimidate to get more power. I want people saluting and calling me sir. I want them feeling my power, right? But at what price? We're a Christ journey church. That means we follow what Jesus says or try to. Here's what he said about that. What will it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? We got these lists about who's the wealthiest in the world. So far, I don't think anybody has gained the whole world. They're trying, but losing soul is already happening. It's one of the great false gods of our day. And it's like, oh, what needless pain we bear. What unnecessary hardship we create because it's supposed to bring a harvest and it's supposed to make things better. And then we're just discovering it's not doing it, not the way we thought it would, right? And here's the irony of it all. The true God who made them, loves them, and covenant with them wants to bless them. He wants to bring rain. He wants to restore the crops. He wants to unite and bless the people and their families. He wants to heal the land. But they'd lost sight of it. So they had diverted their allegiance, their heart's attention, their, their heart's affection to false gods that were breaking and Battering, battering them on the battlefield. Instead, they're, they're wavering instead of worshiping. So that's why Elijah says, and maybe this is the word for you. You wanna know how to win your battle? Don't waver, worship the true God. What does it mean to worship? Bow down in reverence, rise up in obedience. This is the call of high noon. When you're in the spiritual battlefield, when the sun is bearing down on you and the heat is on and the false gods are saying, I demand your allegiance now, bow now. And it is never more significant then than when Jesus said, when you find yourself in the battle and the deceiver is coming strong on you, that's the time to worship the true God in the true way. Reverence and obedience Unleash the wow factor 
by worshiping the true God and let your life be his altar. Remember those 12 stones that reminded them who they truly are? You are Israel. That let God tell you, you are mine. You're my precious child. And let your life be his altar. And let your time and your decisions and your soul be his fuel. Lord, light me up. Ignite my fuse and burn, my, burn me up to serve your purpose with my life. And then as he ignites and burns away the dross, then let the rain of the spirit pour down on you because what he wants to do is wash your heart clean, wash your hands clean, bring healing to your land. What's your land? That's your marriage, that's your family, that's your business, that's your life, it's your future. That God brings the water of his living Holy Spirit to your life so you can now become part of the solution. You ever wondered, why does God let this world be such a battlefield? You know why? It's because he wants to raise up overcomers. The bullets are real. The decisions are real. The consequences are real. They are eternal, and his desire is to raise up eternal overcomers by experience. Those who would discover by personal experience the truth of what John wrote when he said, greater is he who is in you than he who's in the world. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. This is what spiritual warriors have got to discover and then live. I hope you have somebody in your life who is asking you the hard questions. Not just letting you float on downstream with the rest of the wide road that leads to destruction. I hope you have somebody in your life who is offering you advice that you don't always want to hear, which is why you don't want to answer the phone when they call. That you tend not to ask them certain questions because you don't think you want to know what they're going to tell you. But that's Elijah to Ahab. That's Elijah to his people. That, that the, I hope you have somebody who in your life is challenging you to remember who you are and then rise up to be all that you were meant to be. You are Israel, prophet says. See, that's what our small groups help us do. That's what a spiritual mentor helps you do. It says, remember who you are, an overcomer in whom greater is he who is in you. We all need a tougher upper. You know what a tougher upper is? Our Kendall campus pastor, our student pastor at Kendall campus, Freddie, his son Joshua says, my dad is my tougher upper. He says, he won't let me be afraid. You know, he's always telling me, he's always pushing me to not be afraid. Listen to me, your heavenly father is your tougher upper. And he knows that this is a world of battle and he knows that the enemy has dark and deceitful, destructive weapons. But he is saying, don't be afraid. The enemy is great, but God is greater and I am in you, which means I'm gonna raise you up to be greater than the one that is in the world. This is what he's trying to do. You don't have to be afraid of the battle. You don't have to bow down. He can lead each of his children to face this day, even if you're in the heat of the day. And by day's end, you know what you could be saying? This is the day the Lord has made. And I'm still standing. I'm still standing to the glory of God because you're made in his image, redeemed by his blood and dwelt by his spirit and now standing on his word. And the evil one will not have you. Would you pray with me? Thank you, gracious almighty God, for high noon.
for the heat of the battle, for the challenge of the day. Thank you for trusting us so that you let us engage the enemy and make decisions that can have impact, not only in eternity, but in community right here. Decisions that can bring healing to our land, cleansing to our hearts and to our hands, and medicine to the broken places in our world. Father, I pray for every spiritual warrior who's hearing your word right now, that your spirit is making it clear And I pray that their answer to you would be, yes, Lord. I bow in reverence before you, Lord. You alone are my God. And I rise in obedience to serve you, Lord. Your voice, your calling is where I find my purpose and meaning in life. So Lord, would the healing of your spirit bring forgiveness and cleansing and kindness to our homes? that you would bring the wandering close and the injured to receive care. Where are you wavering right now? Are you between two opinions today? Then right now is your chance to say, Lord, you alone are my God. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew within me a right spirit, restore to me the joy of your salvation and remind me who I truly am in you. Maybe you're on the front end of your spiritual journey and would like to know how can I have a friendship with God who will lead me to victory in the battlefield? It's as simple as a prayer like this. Lord Jesus, come into my life Forgive my sins, I receive the gift of your salvation and I turn from my way to your way that you might lead me to victory. Paul said, if you believe, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Lord Jesus, I believe that you have conquered death and I enthrone you as my God. Now, if you join me in that prayer, our heads still bowed and our eyes closed, but if you join me in that prayer and you would let me ask God's blessing upon your next steps of faith, would you simply raise your hand wherever you're seated and just keep them up for a few moments. To my left, God bless you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. In the middle, toward the back. On the left, God bless you. In the very back row, God bless you. To my right on the aisle, God bless you, sir. In the front, God bless you. Thank you, sir, God bless you. We're praying for all of these women and men who have raised their hands, aren't we? To my left toward the front, God bless you. Over to the far left, God bless you. Today is the day of salvation. And he who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Lord, make your word true and real in the life and heart of every woman, every man who has said, Lord, I wanna take this step and let you lead me to victory as I make my prayer in Jesus' name, amen.